Welcome, welcome for all the people that are here, um, that are serving, that are, are even joining us here in person. Very few, but um, where the Bible says where two or three are gathered in my name, I am still here in the midst, though so I'm feeling the fellowship, I'm feeling the churchness, I'm feeling us gathering in here, and I'm really excited about that also, for those of you who are at one of the two that are, that are with us from one of our two locations, whether you're here at the Stone Mountain or here, in the, um, here at the Fourth Ward, we are excited to bring in the new year with you today. Some of you guys may be looking at me and says, what happened? What happened to Howdy? And I was just like, so let me go ahead and tell you that I had surgery, shoulder, shoulder surgery, and it is, you know, so I'll be walking around with this thing for four weeks. I got about two more weeks um, left with it, but in this um, I have, I am replacing my shoulder. There's an old football injury, long story. If you want to know any more details, I'll tell you later. But just pray for me. I'm in here, I'm in this sling for another couple of weeks. And then after that, um, there's going to be about another four to eight weeks of rehab. So let's go ahead and um, get that out the way. And so I'm here and I'm just, but I'm really, really excited about it. Let me just start with the confession. Let me start with the confession. I'm going to start with the confession and then I want us to pray. Um, the confession is simply this. When it comes to New Year's, New Year's and just kind of these days, like New Year's is actually one of my favorite holidays. It's one of the, it's one of those days that it is. And it's not necessarily because of what, you know, what we do on New Year's. It's not even, you know, some of the family traditions that we celebrate in the, in the family. But it's just one of those things because it's, for me, it's a message of, of hope. It's a message, it's, it's a time that we get a chance to dream, get a chance to think, to get a chance to look towards the, the future. And so really we're going to be talking about that today. And so as we're kicking off this series, I just want you to kind of join in with us as um, show has already talked about as we walk through what we're calling this series storytelling. I want us to sit at the feet of Jesus and be able to kind of listen to what the Lord has to say as we are entering into this new year. So let's pray and let's kick off this new year the right way. So Father, we're thankful for this opportunity to come before you. Thank you for the grace that you have given each and every one of us in Christ Jesus, Lord. Father, thank you, Lord, that we can recognize that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, even though our circumstances circumstances may change. Father, even though our hardships come and go, Father, we recognize that even in that, Lord, that there is a rock, there is a sense of stability, there's a sense of never changing and immutability. Father, in you, the fact that we can trust you is where we put our hope, where we put our confidence, Father, in you. So, Father, thank you for this time and this season, and thank you, Father, even for this holiday, regardless of where we land on it and regardless of where we have come from or where we've been or where we're going, Lord, we thank you for this, Father, just as a symbol for us to set, to stop, to pause, to reflect, Father, and to look forward to all that you have for us, Father, both individually and collectively as a church. Father, we pray that the, your bride might sparkle this year. Father, we pray, Lord, that believers, Lord, would enter in Lord, to the space that you have ordained us, a city on a hill, the salt and light of the earth. Father, um, a bride without blemish. Father, we pray, Father, that our good deeds may shine. But it's not for our shine, but it's for your glory. So, Father, today, Lord, I pray as we kick off this series, I pray as we think about um, moving forward into this 2022, Lord, that you may be glorified. And so, Father, whatever hurdles, whatever obstacles that we have to overcome, Father, help us through the power of your Holy Spirit 
And Lord, we'll do our best to give you all the praise, all the honor, and all the glory. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask all these things. Amen. And amen. You guys, if you're here, and you can, you can talk and act like there's 100 people in this building today, but it's all, it's all good. But let me ask you guys a question. Let me ask you a question. Why do you think we struggle? Why do you think we struggle with keeping promises? Or another way it says, why do we fail to follow through with what we resolved to do? You see, no matter where we land on this, the, the reality is, is that you and I, we all struggle to keep our promises and we all fail to follow through with what we resolve to do. You see, my family, each and every year, I told you my favorite holiday is New Year's, and so we have a couple of traditions. And one of the, the things that we do, we don't necessarily have New Year's resolutions, but we have what we would call New Year's words. We have words that we have. And, and, and our words are the traditions in which we kind of set, um, we set up. And so each year we sit down as a family and we discuss our words, right? Um, so we start off with discussing our words. We first, we sit down and it's all eight of us that are sitting around the, the couch. And the first thing that we do is that we, we reflect on the password. We reflect on the password, we, you know, and what was last year's word? How did that word impact you? How was it favorable? But then after we do that, we ask them to start thinking about, right, their word for the upcoming year. And as we ask them about their words for the upcoming year, sometimes our children and our, some of us, we already have our words, and we then either throw out a word that we think that we have, and then at that time, everybody gives feedback into that word. Um, but then on, but if you don't have a word, then each one of us start making suggestions to one another about what potential words you can do that can help kind of be the guardrails for you as you go into the next season. But after we land on the word, basically what we do is that we assign each one of our words, we assign a scripture to each one of our words that helps us to kind of anchor the words. We write it on a three by five card, we put it on the back, and, that, and then we all commit ourselves to memorize both that word and those scriptures. That, um, that we have, right, um, that we wrote down. And those, those are the New Year's resolutions. Those are the New Year's words that we do on a consistent basis. And over the years, we've had some of the words and some of us have followed through throughout the whole year and we have fulfilled the commitment that we made at the beginning of the year. But oftentimes, or most of the time, we don't end up following through on the commitments that we made or we don't end up um, we end up struggling with keeping the promises that we've made at the beginning of the year. One of my kids, I won't even name who it is, but one of my kids, um, as we were planning for words this year, said, Dad, why do we come up with these words every year? Because we don't even remember the words past the first month. But there's nothing like a kid or like family to bring you back to the place of humility. But but even in that, basically what she was saying was, is that why do we struggle with keeping up with our promises? Why do we fail? Why do we keep failing to follow through what, what we've already, what we resolve to do? So basically he says, why keep doing it? Why keep doing it, right? I don't know about your traditions and I don't know about your resolutions, but what one thing that I've recognized in, you know, um, is simply that according to CBS News, the last couple of years, we have seen a drastic decline of people making New Year's resolutions. 
that number went from 43% of people making New Year's resolutions all the way down to 29% estimated. 29% of people. That's a drastic number. That number goes from about 150 million people who you, three years ago, who made resolutions, and that number is down to 100 million, a little bit under 100 million. So 50 million people have said, have stopped, or have decided to stop making these promises that they have, or these promises that, they, that they're keeping. And so what's unique about that is that even though these people who are making promises, they are probably stopping to make promises because of the statistics of people who actually finish those promises are even less or even more dramatic. They say that only about 9%, 9% of people, 9% of people um, end up in their own estimation keeping the resolution that they felt that they made at the beginning. So for some of you guys, and for you mathematicians or for some of you basketball players, that's basically going up to the free throw line 10 times and only hitting one out of every 10 free throws. One out of every 10 free throws are people actually fulfilling the commitments that they make or the resolutions or fulfilling the promises that they're making or the resolutions that they're keeping. So, but even if you don't, even if you don't, if you're not like the hottie, I don't, you know, I'm not even that dude that, that does resolutions. I'm not that gal that, that does, like, I'm not that person. But you see, the reality is, is that even if you don't make resolutions, you constantly are making promises that you're not keeping. You're constantly um, giving, uh, you're constantly failing to follow through on things that you have already resolved to do. How many of you make promises that are spouses? to our spouses that we're going to finish that project that we have? How many of us make promises to our children that we're gonna spend more time? How many of us make promises when we, when we see our friends, it's like, hey, let's get up, let's, let's, let's get together, and let's talk, and let's set it up. How many of us resolve that this year or whatever that we're gonna eat right? We're gonna exercise, right? How many of us, right, keep or make the promises that we know that we are ultimately destined to fail? So the question becomes is why? Why do we, why do some of us, even though we're not going to fulfill our promises, why do so many of us continue to do so? And I really believe that it's simple because it's in the midst of our discouragement, we all are looking for a ray of hope. We're looking for a better future. We're looking for a better tomorrow in what we're doing. And that's the reason why we're, we're willing to continue, even though with a 9% ratio, completion ratio, we're willing, some of us are willing to continue to struggle with making promises that we're not going to fulfill. This is what we're going to be doing. This is what we're doing today in this series. We're going to be looking at a word, um, words from Jesus and, and that I really believe addresses some of this in a way that we um, could help us as we struggle with keeping our promises. If you have your Bibles, open up with me to um, the book of Luke. We're going to be looking at Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to be going through verses 4 through 15. Luke chapter 8, 4 through 15. And um, what I want to do is I want to read it and I want to give us some context and then I want us to kind of unpack what this story 
that Christ telling, that tells his people, his disciples, those who are hearing him at the time and the reason why he goes into it. So Luke chapter 8, verses 4, and we're going to stop at verse 15, 4 to 15. And it says this, as a large crowd was gathering and people were coming to Jesus from every town, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path it was trampled on, and the birds of the sky devoured it. Other seeds fell on the rock. With, when it grew up, it withered away since it lacked moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up, and it choked, and it choked it. Still, other seed fell on good ground, and when it grew up, it produced fruit a hundred times what was sown. Then the disciples asked him, what does this parable mean? So he said, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given to you to know, but, but to the rest it's in parables, so that looking they may not see, and hearing they may not, <coughs> they may not understand. They may not understand. And then the seed, and then as Jesus goes on in verse 12, he goes on to begin to explain. He says, then the, the seed along the path are those who have heard. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. Verse 13, and the seed of the rock and the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, but having no root. They believe for a while and then fall away in time of testing. Verse 14, and it says, And as for the seed that fell among the thorns, these are the ones who, when they have heard, go on their way and are choked with worries, riches, pleasures of life, and produce no mature, few, no mature fruit. And then he ends off this passage which says this, but the seed in the good ground, these are the ones having heard the word with an honest and good heart, hold on to it and by enduring produce fruit. And by doing produce fruit. All right, so let me just kind of start off with some of the context here that's going on in this story and in this parable um, that I think that is important for us to understand, right? In verse 4, we, we see this where it says, as a large crowd was gathering and the people were coming to Jesus from every town, he spoke or he told a parable. Some of the things that we got to understand right now is that Jesus has began his earthly ministry, and as he's beginning his earthly ministry, people are hearing about all the things that God is doing. And, and, they, and so what happens when you start seeing or hearing about something spectacular or something super, supernatural, like it becomes clickbait in a lot of ways. And so people, for many reasons, are coming around from all over. And so what we see in the context is a couple of things. Number one, it says as a, a lot of people were there. A lot of people started gathering. And the second thing that we see is that they were all coming from a variety of different places, a variety of different places. And so Jesus, as these people go and as these people come, Jesus tells a parable about parables and why he speaks in parables. 
You, you would think that in, in the midst of this and that all these people are coming and all these people are gathering that you would want to speak in a way that as many people would understand. But instead, Jesus come in and says, let me tell you, a, let me give you a parable of why I speak in parables. And immediately after he gives this parable of the sower, he goes in and immediately after he makes a statement. And his statement was this, let anyone who has ears to hear Listen, let anybody who have ears to hear, listen. And then that caused in something in the disciples that the disciples began to say, what does this parable mean? And then he responds to him, he says, the secrets of the kingdom of God have been given for you to know, but the rest is, is in parables or stories so that looking they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Okay, do we read that right? So looking they may not see and hearing that they may not understand. So is the goal of Jesus actually for us not to understand or for us to see what he's trying to give, deliver to us? And the answer is no. You see, the disciples ask the question. He says, what does this parable mean? But Jesus answers with not the what does this parable mean first. He answers with why I'm even speaking this way. Right? And so let me just start off with a couple of observations, observations about parables, because Jesus wants us to begin, before we jump into the heart of the parable, let's start talking about some of the general observations of the parable, and then we can get into some of the specifics of this parable that we're looking at, or this story that we're looking at today. All right? So first, let's ask the question, why? Or what? What is a parable? Because if we're going to talk about parables, we've got to talk about what a parable is. Parable is a short earthly story with a spiritual meaning. It's a short earthly story with a spiritual meaning. Parables was a contemporary form of communication in that day. It was the preferred form of communication. It was what the rabbis, how they spoke, how they talked. They talked in parables. And so when you read the parables, the focus of all parables is to try to find the simplest, most easiest understood explanation, especially when the Lord is saying it to us. Because oftentimes when we go and we begin to look at some of these stories and some of these parables, we start making connections that, the, that Jesus is not trying to connect. And so he's telling us these stories or he's making this point or giving this illustration so that we can so that we can get to the simplest meaning, the simplest understanding of what it is. Because this is, this is what, what it is. Basically, a parable is a simple story with supernatural implications. When Jesus is talking that a parable is a simple story with supernatural implications, right? And so when we look at specifically the parable of the sower, there's one of the things that we got to understand. There's some, again, some observations that we make. Number one, <clears throat> as we go into this, is that the parable of the sower is the only parable, is the only parable recorded in all three of the synoptic gospels. What are the synoptic gospels? The synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's not John. John takes a little bit different approach. But in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, this is the only parable that is mentioned in all three of the parables. I think this is important because this both stresses the importance of the understanding of parables, but it also talks about the amount of times that Jesus talked and probably said this parable. 
And so Jesus, more than any other parable, is recorded more than any other, other, other parables about of why he speaks in parables. And there's something that he wants us to get and understand. It's the only one in all of the synoptic gospels. But so when we talk about the parable of the sower, the parable of the is simply a description of four basic soils. Four basic soil types. The parable of the sower is about how a variety of people respond when they hear the word of God. The parable of the sower is about how a variety of people respond when they hear the word of God. The parable of the sower calls us to both examine, to examine kind of both our hearts and the places where we're trying to cultivate them. That it is calling you, it is calling me to both examine our inward heart, but it's also calling us to try to look at the cult, the, the things, um, the environments in which we cultivate them. And let me just kind of say this um, too, because throughout the scriptures, we know that the goal is, uh, for Christ to explain these things is not for us not to understand, because throughout, whenever a disciple or whenever anybody with a sincere heart asks for Jesus to explain, he would go into explanation mode, right? But there's something in there that, that he's, the, the reason why he doesn't give it in that way at the front end. So let's go. And I got a, a few points that I want us to hit and then we'll pray and be going. But I want you to remember that the parable of the sower wants us to examine both the posture of our hearts, the posture of our heart, and the places we are trying to cultivate them. All right? This is trying to do both, both ends. So point number one, when we are examining both the posture of our hearts in the places we're trying to cultivate them. Number one is this, is that everyone's heart's posture isn't ready to respond. Everyone's heart's posture isn't ready to respond. Again, we're talking about why do we make promises, why we struggle with keeping promises that we make, or why do we um, fail to follow through with the things that we've already resolved. And the first thing, the first point that this parable teaches us is that everyone's heart's posture isn't ready to respond. Why speak in parables to people who have come to listen, right? There are many people there to listen, but not everyone has the heart or is ready to respond. Jesus understands this because immediately after he told the parable, he calls his people to listen. He who has ears to hear, listen. You see, Oftentimes, for many different reasons, people come from all different places and all over the world. They come, but everyone that comes is not always ready to hear or to listen, right? You see, this is something that the Bible talks about all the way from the beginning. This idea, when, we, when, it, when the Bible calls us not just to listen, but to hear, right, what, what it's saying is that we need to listen with the desire to respond. We're trying to listen, but we're listening with the desire to respond. This is the words that we've seen in the, the Old Testament with the Shema. The Shema in um, Deuteronomy chapter 6, where it says, Listen or hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And then it goes on and it says to love the Lord your God with your heart, with your soul, with your strength. These words that I am giving you today are to be, are to 
saturate or to abide in your heart. You see, that word shema means it's coming in and it's to hear with the response, with the desire to respond to what I am hearing. So if we go back to what we see in this passage in chapter 8, verse 4, Jesus begins the story and he sets this context and he says, listen, there are large crowds that are gathering and people are, were coming to Jesus from every town. This context gives us a twofold implication. Number one was the fact that there was a lot of people there and that they were coming from different places. And let me just say this, that although there were a lot of people there, Jesus understands that there's many outside distractions. <clears throat> there's a lot of outside distractions. Jesus understands and confronts the challenges and challenges that the things that surrounding us. You see, one of the things that you know, and as, as, as parents and as people who work with children or however, you recognize that whenever you're trying to communicate, whether it's with children or whether it's with anybody in our day, you are always competing for their attention. Why? Because there's so much going on. There's so much noise. There's so much clutter. There's so many things that's happening. And you begin to compete. It's like speaking to my, my children Right? Whenever I'm speaking to my children, I know I got about a good three minutes. If that, that's on a good day. That's on a good day. Right? And then I know I got to get to the point and get it down. And, this, and so what Jesus comes in and he recognizes, listen, I already know that there's some competing attention. There's different things that's fighting for your attention. There's different things that's fighting for your affections. Right? But see, but the other thing that Jesus understands is that Jesus understands that people are all coming from different places. So when he, when he sets up the text, he says there's people coming from everywhere, but they're all coming from various different towns. Everybody's not in the same place in life. Some of us are struggling right now. Some of us are in a good place. Some of us are going through a hardship. Some of us are, we're all at different places and in different seasons in our life. And what we see here is that they were all coming from different places. You see, what Jesus understands is that this wasn't something that they didn't lack intellectual communication, right? They understood what farming was. Most of the people came from farming backgrounds. That during the time that Jesus was preaching, it was an agricultural time. So people understood crops. He told a story to them that they can relate to. It would be like for me telling me a story about the NBA. I can relate. I get it. I understand it. It's like talking to Evan about music right? It's not that they don't understand that. It was a common practice of the day, but they also understand the contextual delivery because, again, what I said before, it's the preferred way of communication. It's like when, right now, the, the young kids, the, you know, you get old when you start talking about the young kids, right? But right now, one of the things I constantly am asking my children, I say, why do you guys get on FaceTime to make calls? To, to have the screen facing up the whole time in the ceiling. And I was just like, I just don't get that. Like, why are we doing FaceTime, but we're not seeing one another? Right? And the reason why is, is it's, that's, it's their preferred way of communication. Right? And so for me, I'll call or I'll text. But for them... They have a preferred way. So it wasn't. Parables was a preferred way of communication. It was the way that people communicated. So it wasn't because it was hard to understand. They understood farming. 
and sowing. And it wasn't because of the medium in which they, they were doing that. I mean, they understood parables because that's the way people spoke in their day. But in talking about these parables, Jesus is basically calling the people to look both inwardly and outwardly. He's calling people to look inwardly because the reason why we are failing to follow through what, what, we, what we have already resolved to do is because we got to both look inwardly and outwardly. And see, the problem is that too many of us, when we do that, we only look outwardly. It's somebody else's problem. It's somebody else's reason why I'm not following through of what I committed. And so Jesus says, no, there's something. And he challenges the posture of the human heart. He says, part of this is because your heart is not ready to receive it. And what he does is that he walks through and he gives us a few challenges. And he gives us a few different types of soil. And the soil is meant to come in to allow us to know that the soil represents the human heart. The human heart. The seed is meant to represent the word of God. And so here you have this man who's going out and he's sowing seed everywhere. And he's sowing, and as he's sowing the seed, it's landing on a lot of different soils, a lot of different human hearts. But the sower keeps sowing. And so he talks about some of the challenge, and he gives us the perspective of why everyone's heart's posture isn't ready to respond. The first challenge that he gives is challenge number one. He says, the, because the challenge is a hard heart, a hard heart. It says, some seed fell along the path. In verse 12, the seed along the path are those who have heard, and then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You see, the hard heart has no receptivity to the word of God. When our hearts are hardened, we have no receptivity to God's word. Why in the world would we allow our hearts to be hardened? A hard heart we see out throughout scriptures. You see it in Mark chapter 8. You see it in other places. Basically, a hard heart is a result of unbelief. Somewhere we've lost hope. Somewhere we've lost that there's a way out, that there's a ray at the end, a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a ray of hope in the midst of discouragement and disappointment. A hard heart is a result of unresolved hurt or unresolved pain. And this is why we say hurt people hurt people. Really what I would say is people with unresolved hurt or unconfessed hurt hurt people. People who are willing to go through the process of the healing process actually leave room for healing. But an unresolved a hard heart is a result of unresolved hurt. A hard heart is a result of running away from the pain. A hard heart is just like, I'd just rather feel numb. I'd rather not feel anything. Right? And so Jesus challenges his disciples to deal with the hurt and avoid the hardness of their heart. But he says that's one of the challenges. Right? Many of us must deal with the wounds of the hurt that we've experienced, whether that's been in the last couple of months or the last couple of years. That I really believe that um, 20 years from now, 50 years from now, the people are going to be writing books about these last few years. And they're going to talk about it in a way that I don't think even we understand of just the impact that it has had. And because we have not 
cultivated our hearts, to some of dealt with our hearts and the pains of our hearts, we have allowed our hearts to become hardened. We have, our, we have allowed our hearts to become hardened. And we got to deal with the wounds of our hearts. These things is not going away. We're not here today. Who would have thought we would have been here again? And I really believe that it is things like this and situations like this has hardened our hearts. But Jesus goes on and says a hard heart is one of the reasons, but he says a shallow heart is also a reason. In verse 13, he says, and the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, they receive the word with joy, but having no root, these believe for a while and fail and fall away in a time of testing. You see, what we got to see is that some seed fell on a rock or in the crevices of the rock. You see, the shallow heart can be masked with re religious feelings. It can be masked with religious feelings. You see, the hard heart is trying to avoid feelings altogether. Where the shallow heart only bases it in feelings. This is how they're feeling and emotionally. So we come in and we're stirred up by the message or we're stirred up by certain things. And we say, I'm going to do it. And I make this commitment. And what we end up doing is that we make emotional commitments. We make these emotional commitments. What, what ends up happening is that we, as I talk to my kids and as I say all the time, that we end up becoming thermometers and not thermostats. We come in and we kind of fill out what's the temperature in the room. And whatever the temperature in the room is, that's what I'm going to kind of fit in. If the room is hot, then I'm going to be hot. If the room is cold, then I'm going to be cold. You see, we recognize this, right? We understand this. But like I've said before, is that emotions are a great place to tell you where you are, but they are a terrible place to make decisions, to make decisions. And we make too many emotional decisions. When you make emotional decisions, you may be sincere, but oftentimes you're going to be sincerely wrong. Sincerity is not a test of rightness. Right? One of the things that you got to understand, when there is no discipline, when, when there is no discipline that's matched with our doctrine and how we feel, that we end up going astray. Right? We got to do the things that cultivate and we got to build the soil and cultivate it in a way. And that, so he talks about a hard heart, but he also talks about a shallow heart. A hard heart is trying to flee from emotions and a shallow heart is trying to only base it on emotions. But then that leads us to the third one is a crowded heart. The crowded heart. It says, some seed fell among the thorns. In verse 14, as for the seed that fell among thorns, these are the ones who... When they have heard, go in their way and are choked with worries, riches, and pleasures of life and produce no mature fruit. I love that because in there it says it, says it produces no mature fruit. So that means it may have produced some fruit, but it's not mature fruit. No mature fruit. You see, the crowded heart allows the things of the world to smother the growth, and ultimately prevent the harvest. You see, the, the crowded heart oftentimes comes because it's the heart that has too many desires. 
too many desires in this life. It's the person that's trying to get it all, to have their cake and eat it too. You see, but the Bible in Matthew chapter 6, 24 says is that no one can serve two masters. No one could serve multiple masters. He says, either you're going to love one and then you're going to despise the other. You can't do it. I know we think that we're good at multitasking our desires, but we're not. No one can serve two masters. And so what he says here is that the crowd at heart is the one who is trying to do it all, who wants it all. And, and oftentimes, this is me. This is me. This year's word for me, this, this, this year's words for me is focused intentions. Focused intentions. It's because I, what I've realized and what I've recognized is that over the years that I've, I've wanted it all. I wanted to do it all. I wanted to accomplish it all. I wanted to hit all the marks. And, and like even last year, I had multiple words. I could, never, I could never limit myself. So I had three or four words. I wanted it all. And it's, it's, and it's these desires that end up crowding out the thing. <coughs> so it's focused intentions. And my verse that I'm using this year is Ecclesiastes 3. It talks about there is a time for everything. And I've just made it my ambition and my commitment this year is to be in line with God's timing in my life and not try to focus or not try to produce or create something, to be okay with God's timing. You see, because we can all do too many things at one time. Too many things at one time. And so what Jesus is doing is that he lays out these three challenges. The challenge of a hard heart is who's trying to avoid emotions altogether. The challenge of the, of the, of the shallow heart who's only about emotions and the challenge of the crowded heart who is basically weeded out. The Bible says, don't be confused. Bad company corrupts good morals. When you allow the weeds to grow up next to the, 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 the essence of what you're doing, it will choke it out and it will kill it. There's a lot of things that we can do, but the question becomes is, what is that thing that you must? What is the thing that you must do? You see, so Jesus basically is saying is that everyone's heart is not ready to respond. But the other thing that he's saying is that everyone's not in the right place to respond. Everyone's not in the right place to respond. They, right here, that if you look at this passage, we are, yes, we are to look at the soils, the type of soils of our heart, but we are also to look at the places in which our soil is, play, is, um, is being placed. You see, the challenges of places that we try to cultivate our hearts is important. And in this passage, what you see is that every environment has its own challenges that hinders, that's hindering fruitfulness within their hearts. Each and every one of them has their own challenges, its own enemy that's keeping it from fruitfulness, right? We're all coming to here, but we're all coming from different places. And as the message is sold, but basically what we see is that there's four different scenarios of responses to the seeds that's being sold. Then there's three that produce fruitlessness, and then there's one that we'll get to that produces fruit. You see, Jesus in here lets us know he's throwing out the seed on good soil and bad soil. He's just throwing it out. He's throwing out the seed, but he's calling us to consider both our heart's posture, but also the places where we're trying to cultivate our heart's posture. So let's revisit these challenges, right? Remember the first challenge was a hard heart. So 
<coughs> so what's the enemy of the hard heart? Again, the enemy, the hard heart's enemy is the devil. Jesus in these later passages goes through and he begins to explain. He says in verse 12, the seed along the path are those who have heard, and then what it says, the devil. Remember earlier on, it was a bird comes and pick it up. But he now ascribes it and he says, no, that bird that came in and took it up, it's the devil. The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe. And be saved. Remember, I told you the fruit or the result of a hard heart is unbelief. So it's the enemy who's trying to rob you of that word that God has given you, trying to keep casting unbelief because he wants your heart to be hard towards him. And we said that the hard heart has no receptivity to the word of God because the devil immediately comes and snatches up that seed. But then he says in our second challenge, when he talks about the shallow hearts, the one that the shallow hearts, that's all based upon emotions. Again, the thing is not emotions. Emotions is not bad. But the shallow hearts enemy is unchecked feelings of the flesh. Unchecked feelings of the flesh. It says, and the seed on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy. But then it says this, having no root. Having no root. These believe for a while and fall away in a time of testing. You see, that shallow heart is the people who respond in joy, but they can't keep it because there's no root. It's emotions without discipline. And so we get what ends up happening is that we're tossed to and fro by every wind a tricky doctrine, every emotion, every environment, and we buy into happiness versus joy. Happiness is what is based upon our circumstances, happenstance, whatever happens to be happening in the time. And he says it's, it's our unchecked feelings that we have, which leads us to the third challenge, is that the crowded heart's enemy is the cares of this world. Verse 14, it says, as for those, as for the seed that fell among thorns, they are the ones who, when they heard, go their way. And are, there, there it is, choked. They are choked with worries, riches, pleasures of life that produce no more fruit. How many of us have ran out of things on Netflix to, to watch? On Hulu to, to go? Like, it's, like I was, we was watching a movie the other day, a show the other day. I was just like, what are we watching? It's nowhere in the world that this would get my attention on any normal circumstance. But because we're in hardship and because we are in avoidance mode and because all these things, we end up doing things, things that we know that this is like, this is not even a struggle of mine. But we find ourselves doing it. Why? Because amusement without mind, without heart, we still have to satisfy the needs. And what happens is that we're crowding out. We crowd out God's word. How many of us, and this is not for conviction, this is for me, how many of us are more better Bible students over these last couple of years? We know God's word 
so much more, so much rich. I hear so many people about deconstruction and decolonizing, but the problem is that none of them that's deconstructing and decolonizing, I'm not going to say none, a lot of them who are de- deconstructing and decolonizing are not using the Bible. They're choking out God's word, the desires of the flesh, the crowdedness. We're allowing it to crowd out. They're enemies of God. They're enemies of God's word. They're unfruitful soil. They're environments. That's not helpful to cultivate a heart that pursues God. You see, these parallels that we see are the parallels that we see of the great enemies of the Christian walk, of of the Christian, of the non-believer, of the people receiving God's word. We see this in Ephesians chapter 2, 1 through 3, where it talks about the great enemies of the ways of the world, the the lust of the flesh, the the spirituality of the, 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 the devil, that he tells us these things. So on one end, he says is that you got to look inwardly at our hearts, but you also need to look outwardly in the places in which we're trying to cultivate that heart. There's certain places that you're in right now that you are destined to fail when it comes to cultivating God's word. Because the environment's not there. It's not conducive for growth. And you can keep trying to do it, but there are enemies. And you got to be able to identify that enemy, whether it's the devil, whether it's your own flesh, or whether it's the cares of this world. You. We, me, we have, to, we, have to get, we have to deal with it. And this is why I love the last point, and we'll close with this, is that receptive hearts come with consistent or constant cultivation. Receptive hearts come with consistent or constant cultivation. It says some seed fell on good ground. The question becomes is how do we get good ground? Does this good ground just come and just some days we wake up with good ground and some days we don't have good ground? How does good ground come? And if you know about farming, every farmer recognizes and knows that good ground doesn't just pop up. <coughs> we don't just go to places and just start throwing seed. But there's a cultivation process. There's disciplines that you have to put in in order to do it. It says, verse 15, I love it how it starts in verse 15. It says, but. First of all, the but lets it know that it's in contrast to the other three. But the seed in the good ground, these are the ones who, and then it goes, and it gives us these participles, these verbs. Having heard the word with, here it goes, an honest, and good heart, hold on to it by enduring and produce fruit. You see, good ground doesn't just mean that it's good because it's without challenges. The devil is still roaming. The ways of the world are still present. The desires of the flesh are still calling. It's still there. It didn't remove it from the world. All those enemies are still there. But because of the disciplines, the cultivation, you see, This parable doesn't make a distinction between believers or unbelievers. It doesn't make a distinction between the privileged or the unprivileged or the marginalized. It doesn't make a distinction between those who are close to Jesus or far from Jesus. It doesn't make a distinction between whether you're black, white, or Latino. It doesn't make any distinctions because what he's talking about is the nature of our hearts and the environments in which we're cultivating them. And he's telling us that the point of this parable is that everyone needs to cultivate the ground 
of their hearts rather than allowing the enemies to make it unfruitful. We need to cultivate the ground of our hearts and stop allowing the, the enemies of our environments to making it unfruitful. We have allowed our enemies. We have allowed the enemies of the gospel. We have allowed the gossip. We have allowed the, 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 the lust of the flesh. We have allowed the envy, the strife. We have allowed too many things to continue to put God's word on the shelf. Good ground must be cultivated. Right? It must be cultivated. And it says, having heard these words, we must do it with honesty and with a good heart. We must hold on to it with enduring. We must produce fruit. And I'm going to leave you with three. Three calls to action of what we can do. Because listen, I don't know about you, but I'm tired. I'm tired. I'm tired of failing with follow through of things that I've resolved to do. I'm tired of stopping are keeping making promises that I'm not going to keep. So three things, and we'll let you go. Number one, confess daily. Confess daily. And I don't want to just keep it generic. Not only confess daily, go out and buy a journal. And if you don't have a journal, go and get a notepad. Go get a piece of paper. Write on your, whatever it is, get a journal. And journal every day. And I want you to confess, to simply take out five for five minutes, for five minutes. I just want you to write on this journal the state of your heart. When it comes to understanding God and his word, just write it. Just stop. Don't even try to edit yourself. Don't even just write. Just type, write, whatever you prefer. Just in your journal. Just write out every day. God, this is where I'm at. I'm frustrated, I'm, I'm, so, I'm, I'm angry, I'm, I'm loving it, I'm whatever it is, just confess, whether it's good or bad. Confess daily. Confession is simply telling the truth about what's going on inside. Are you willing to tell the truth about what's going on inside? And I want you to ask yourself, once you understand where you're, what you're feeling, I just want you to ask the other question is this, where are these feelings coming from? What's the story I'm telling myself that's making me feel this way? So every day, confess. Write it in your journal. Where are you and what's making you feel this way? The second thing is I want you to do is I want you to cultivate daily. Cultivate daily. I want you to choose and challenge yourself to read scripture daily. Read scripture daily. Like, and if you don't know what to do, we're about to walk through the, the book of Luke. Study the book of Luke. Read it every day. Choose a book of the Bible and just read that every day. That, like, it doesn't, like, it doesn't matter. It's not this magical thing. Just choose something to read, something to do daily and do it daily. And then when you do it, I want you to write out one thing, one thing that stands out to you. One thing that stands out to you. Right? And I want you to ask this, how is this one thing, how can this one thing help me? All right, so this is what we're doing. It's simple. We're going to confess daily. We're going to write out what, we're going to get a journal, write out what it is of where we are and what's causing us to be here. Two, we're going to read the scripture daily and we're going to try to pull out one thing and how this one thing can help me. And then the third thing is that I want us to commit daily. Commit daily. I want us to resolve to live out that one thing. That day. 
I, this is really a simple, this is real simple for us. If we, if there's one thing that we pull from the scriptures every day and think about how this can be helpful, and then we take that one thing and that every day that we will commit to doing that one thing and this committing that I'm going to do that one thing today, I think it will change the way. It will, the things that we do, that we will end up doing what we resolve to do. And when you, when you do that, just simply, like, before you get up or before you leave, I want you to take that one thing that you're committing to do today, and I want you to simply say this, both when and where can I do this today? Just ask that question, when and where can I do this one thing today? What am I saying? What am I saying? I'm saying this, is that if we are constantly cultivating a heart that pursues God, Above all else, you will see more fruitfulness in the things you resolve to do. Constantly cultivate a heart that pursues God above all else, and you will see more fruitfulness, more results in the things you resolve to do. Why does Jesus tell a parable about parables? Why does every one of the authors in the Gospels wrote, remind us? It's because I think there's hidden treasures that he wants us to have. There's hidden treasures. But we got to constantly cultivate a heart that pursues God above all else. And then we will see more fruitfulness in the things that God has called us to do. Thanks for worshiping with us. For more information about Blueprint Church, visit us online at blueprintchurch.org. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at Blueprint Church. Have a great week, and we'll see you next Sunday.